Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another great episode. So today, my guest is Sadhvi Bhagawati Saraswati, and she is the author of Hollywood to the Himalayas, and she is a spiritual leader that shares her journey in this book. She's written several other books, but... She shares her journey in this book of her own transformation through trauma and abuse towards healing and freedom. And uh, I really just loved talking with her about her story and her sharing so honestly about her own history and the journey she went on of healing it and the moment that she really realized how connected she was to the universe or part of the universe and that we are all one. So I really loved talking with her. I loved that she really just shares her story genuinely so that we can all be part of that process of finding, as she says it in the end, freedom, the freedom to be our true selves. So I hope you love this episode as much as I did, and I hope you get a lot out of it. And let's go ahead and start it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I have a wonderful guest today that I am excited to talk to. She is the author of the book Hollywood to the Himalayas, and her name is Sadhvi Bhakwati Sarawatsi. Did I say that right? Saraswati. So. Saraswati. Saraswati. Okay, I was close. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, that's okay. Very, very close. Awesome. So let's just jump in and please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and and we'll get into your book and your story and go from there. Sure. Well, Dwayne, it's so wonderful to be together with you and here with your community and to be able to share with everyone because 
For me, bringing out my book, Hollywood to the Himalayas, has been such an extraordinary experience. I've written several other books before of teachings. And yet this is the first time that my actual full story, the, you know, uncensored, full, real, raw, deep, vulnerable, honest, et cetera, story has come out publicly. And I made a decision to do that because it seems so critical today that we bridge spirituality and humanity, that there's too many people in the throes of human struggle, like addiction, for example. But as we know, addiction doesn't come out of a vacuum. It doesn't just fall from the sky like, you know, and right. Out of, right. out of season hailstorm, it, it arises from something. And so the pain, the anger, the grudges, the challenges, and then the addiction that manifests from those, there's so much shame around every bit of that, that those of us struggling in the throes of that feel in too many cases disconnected from unworthy of undeserving of spiritual connection of grace of freedom of ecstasy of bliss of peace and then on the flip side those in the spiritual realm where i've lived the last 25 years in india on an ashram as a spiritual seeker and now over the last many years as a spiritual teacher and leader, there's this sense of thou shalt not divulge any dark secrets. In fact, thou shalt not have any dark secrets. Otherwise, it sort of disqualifies you from this this post of being a spiritual being. And so I really I brought the book out with this deep sense of we need to bridge this gap and bring spirituality into humanity and bring humanity into spirituality. So that's where Hollywood to the Himalayas, A Journey of Healing and Transformation, which is the full name of the book, where that came from. Because Most people who know me, or especially most people who have met me in the last 25 years, have no idea about the the first 25 years of my life other than the most superficial level on which everything looked perfect. I grew up quite literally in Hollywood and was privileged to have great privilege, great opportunity, great access and accessibility, and had the best education. I graduated from Stanford University. I really had all of that which we're told one needs in order to be happy. And yet, as everyone with addiction understands, There was something beneath the surface that was bubbling and it was bubbling in a way where 
most of my time and attention and intention was focused on simply preventing it from exploding. And I had been in early childhood, I had been severely sexually abused. I had then been abandoned and by my biological father. I had a wonderful mother and a wonderful, wonderful stepfather who came in. But nonetheless, that that attachment to the the biological parents is something that no matter what they do to us, the childhood attachment and yearning and longing for love and approval and tenderness just defies every bit of logic that would say, oh, thank God the man's out of my life. But the eight-year-old is like, oh my God, where did my dad go? And right. so as I, as I grew, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to just, just comment on that. I, I think what you're, you're saying is so important because we can get so lost in our, our trauma and that unworthiness just kind of permeates everything about us. And I like what you were saying earlier, being able to find that grace or that peace or, or what we're looking for can get lost in, in all of that wounding. Absolutely. Very, very deeply. And as I grew that pain, the pain from the abuse, the pain from the abandonment, my particular, certainly not conscious decision, but just that which unfolded in my life, means of dealing with the stress and the pain and the feelings of unworthiness and the fear of right. abandonment and all of that was I became severely bulimic and was in and out of eating disorder units. I was eating in and out of even hospitals, the non-eating disorder part with tubes and IVs in me. I was, I was really, really, really sick. And that stayed with me through my late adolescence into early twenties. And finally, with a lot of therapy, a lot of work, years of it, I got to a place in my early 20s where I was managing it. I was in a PhD program. I had gra uh, graduated undergrad from Stanford, and I was succeeding brilliantly in a PhD program, I was getting straight A's and taking, you know, 21 units a quarter and really, really thriving, managing my pain, managing my food, managing my addiction, managing my marriage. And I thought everything was perfect. I thought that that was really the best that one could hope for because I had always been told that this would always hang over my shoulder, that this addiction would always be my go-to stress response and that it was right. just going to be there and be part of my life. No one ever said, hey, by the way, you actually can be free of it. So on one level, on the outside, here you are, I think, like you said, you're at Stanford, you're getting a degree, everything is managed, it, it looks great. But then internally, it sounds like there's still that turmoil or something's not right. 
Well, yeah, it was, it was that sense inside of I'm not right. So, and that for me was always a really core internal sense was there was something that was inherently wrong with me, inherently damaged, broken, bad, dark. And it's so interesting psychologically what abuse, what abandonment, what even divorce does in a child's psyche when it's not handled properly. Because as kids, we tend to blame ourselves for everything. We feel like we are the ones making everything happen. And so there's this pervasive sense that I had done something wrong, that there was something wrong with me. And so while I was succeeding beautifully in every external way, inside me, it always still felt like there is something not right with me. And I didn't think that that was something that anybody was ever free of. It never occurred to me that one could be free. Nobody I knew was doing anything other than managing their lives somewhere on the right. spectrum of managing well to managing not so well. Everybody was just managing. And, you know, I was, I was a scientist. I was an academic. I was not a mystic or a spiritual person. And at age 25, I went to India with a backpack because my husband wanted to go. And in India, we had, or I had rather, the most extraordinary spiritual awakening experience, unexpected, unanticipated, unsought for on any conscious level. But there it was. And it was this extraordinary experience of awakening in which I knew that I was one with all of the divine creation. And it was so extraordinary. How did that, I, I want to ask the question, like, how did that occur? Like, how did you feel that connection? Because I think sometimes when we're in our trauma, we're so self-focused because we're in so much pain or, or whatever. But then to have that transformation where you see yourself connected to the whole kind of shifts that whole that whole thing. And I want to know how like how that happened for you. It was extraordinary. It happened suddenly, spontaneously. I was standing on the banks of the Ganga River, the river that we call the Ganges, and suddenly I it was like a veil was pulled off of my eyes, but not only off of my eyes, off of every single way of knowing that I had. And I could see, and I could see the presence of the perfection of the divine. And I could see my connection to the presence of the divine. And I just, I felt it, I knew it, that everything was perfect. Everything was God and I was part of that. It, it was extraordinary. I don't know how to describe it. Even 25 years later, it really defies semantics. 
except that it was just an experience of total oneness and union. My heart was blown open and my whole consciousness was just blown open. And I, yeah, I, uh, I I think what you're like, what you're saying (laughs) is like, there's some of this, this stuff where you words can't, can't describe it because it it is, it is this, yeah, it's spiritual. It's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to, how to describe it, but there's, there's a feeling, a sensation of being able to, to see, um, see it in that way. Well, it's like, you know, if you read anything by any of the mystics or people who have had spiritual experiences, have had an experience of oneness, an experience of connecting to the divine. It's an experience now that I feel in meditation, that I feel in prayer, in song. It's certainly experiences that people have had on... LSD or mushrooms, not that I'm advocating that, but it's, it's certainly. Yeah, definitely. That, that has been that feeling of connection to the universe. Exactly. Exactly. And, and of course the dilemma with using psychedelics to get there is you have to just keep using them, which of course does not benefit anyone. Then you substitute awakening for addiction and instead of freedom, you end up a slave. So that's not the way, but what it is, is an experience of, I am not trapped by my history, my identity, by the physical borders of this body, by my race, my religion, my size, my shape, my sexual orientation, my history, none of that. And so I had that experience and it just, it blew my awareness open. And suddenly I realized, oh my God, I am one. I am one with the universe. And all I could say was, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. And from that moment, the rest of my life really started. And I ended up finding the ashram where I now live. I found the the guru who is my guru, one of the most renowned spiritual leaders in all of India. And he taught me from the very beginning to let go, quite literally, to learn to just let go and to let go of the pain and let go of the identification with the pain. So you had this moment where you were able to see yourself in, in the universe or part of the, not, I guess you are the universe. We, we all are part of it, but at the same time, that was the beginning of your journey. And so then you, you started to, you had to put that into, into practice, I guess. Is that, is that right? Um, yeah, the, you know, what to do comes really naturally once you have an experience of who you are. The dilemma for so many of us is we don't know who we are and so we don't know what to do. And for me, when I had that experience, 
all of that within me that felt like there was something wrong with me that needed to eat in order to feel full, that needed to stuff myself in order to numb myself, in order to get out of the pain of the present moment that then needed to quite literally throw it back up again in order to feel that sense of emptiness and freedom and punishment even all of that it just it it disappeared in that moment of realizing oh i'm not this limited being I'm actually one with the universe and the universe is perfect. And oh my God. And then when, when my teacher had me do this beautiful ritual of letting go of literally standing in the Ganga river and pulling all of the pain, all of the anger, all of the grudges into my hands and offering it into the water and quite literally seeing the face of my biological father and saying, I forgive you. And it took a long time. It was not like go in the river and do it and you're out. I stood in that river for a long time until I really could do it. And for me, the most extraordinary lesson has been that Our freedom is our highest goal and that all of this is what's holding us back from being free. And the question always is, is is this pain, is this grudge, is this identity, is it worth my freedom? And the part that you have to learn and work on, as Dwayne, you were speaking about, is a practice to keep the mind on track. Because, you know, we act like thoughts run the show. We act like we are the slave and the thoughts are the master. And so our thoughts take us wherever they want us to go. And of course, what programs our thoughts? Well, typically our early childhood years, all of that subconscious programming, all of the messages that we bring in from society, from our culture, that makes this subconscious cassette tape, you could say, that just plays and plays and plays in our mind. And then we allow our attention, our consciousness, our focus, our time, our energy, our life to just get hijacked by every random thought that comes by our head. And the practice becomes a practice of realizing, hey, thoughts are just chemical and electrical patterns of behavior. I have a choice. I can jump on it or not. Like if you're standing at a bus stop and a bus comes by and it's not your bus, you don't get on it. You don't say, well, just because the bus slows down, I'm going to jump on. You're really clear. Hey, this is not my bus. I'm not going to get on it. I don't want to go where this bus is going. And in the same way, when we have thoughts that arise, thoughts of that identity, that anger, that grudge, that sense of smallness of ourself, of unworthiness of ourself. That's just a thought. And we have a choice of really whether we want to jump on it or not. 
And that's where the work and the practice comes in. Got it. And and that's where the, the freedom comes when we can begin to see that those thoughts are just what they are. They're just thoughts. And if we are, like you said earlier, part of the part of the universe or all of the universe, we're we're all it's all the same, then those thoughts aren't, I guess, is they just don't have as much power. They, yeah. they we're not it's okay. They don't, they, they, yeah, they don't, they don't have the power because we're not on the bus. Right. They only, like a bus right. only has the power to take us someplace if we're sitting on it. Right. You've and, got to get and, on that bus for it to take you somewhere. Right. But I would also say, like, when all of that trauma is there, sometimes it can be so hard to, to see that, that that's an actual choice you can make. Absolutely. We, we don't see it as a choice. And for me, that's become huge is the awareness that forgiveness is not something we do because what someone else did was okay. Forgiveness is not condoning what someone did. Forgiveness says, regardless of what you have done to me, regardless of what your anger, ignorance, fear, confusion, your patterns, regardless of what those made you do to me, I still deserve to be free. That is my birthright. And just because you abused, abandoned, betrayed, cheated, harmed me, I am not going to sacrifice the freedom of my life on the altar of your ignorance, the altar of your pain or your confusion. But that's what so many of us do. And so what I learned in India and what I really share throughout the book is how people can become free. I walk people through the steps of letting go of forgiveness of what it looks like when it keeps coming back, you know, different times yeah. and different ways and how we can not through suppression, not repression, not denial, how you work through something and let it go with the acknowledgement and the awareness that it happened to you, but it isn't you. And it is not meant to define your life and that you have freedom. There's a beautiful teaching in the Vedas that says, man eva manushyanam karanam bandha mokshayo. And it means the mind is the master key. The mind decides whether you are going to be in bondage or in freedom. It is up to the mind. And the mind should be in our control, in our hands. And so what I, what I share in the book, and this was why I finally wrote it, why 25 years after being in India, I finally said, okay, need to really share, not just teachings. I've had a lot of other, other books published of teachings, but to really share the, the full story so that people could journey with me through my addiction, through my pain, through my suffering, into my freedom, and then into the joy and the peace and the bliss, which they can all make their own, because that is something that is 
available for everyone. Right. And it's like, you know, I, I think when you experience it, like you're saying, I, I can feel your passion of wanting to just lay that at the, at the feet of everyone. Here's a way out of your, your pain and suffering. You don't, you don't have to. Absolutely. You can be free regardless of what's happened to you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how stuck you feel. You can be free. You have that veto power. And that's what I brought out Hollywood to the Himalayas for is, you know, there's two arcs. One arc, of course, is my particular story. That very exciting, fascinating spiritual adventure of, you know, white Californian, overeducated, privileged young girl goes off to India with a backpack with her husband only because she liked the food, which was the only reason that I agreed to go to India in the first place, and has a spontaneous spiritual awakening that ends up transforming her life and ends up healing her and turning her into a a teacher and a leader of others to be healed and transformed. And that's, that's the physical arc. That's the spiritual adventure that will make people laugh and it'll make them cry and it'll give them an insider's view of what, what the life inside an Indian ashram in the world of religion is like, of what it means to be to be celibate, what it's like to be a disciple, what it's like to do all of the service that we do. But also there's another arc, which is the arc that every single person can walk, regardless of where their physical arc takes them. They can shift their way of thinking and living from what I consider the Hollywood way of thinking, which is you are your history, you are your identity, you are your struggles, you are the size and shape of your body, your race, your religion. You are all of that to the Himalayan way of thinking, which is you have a body and the body has a size and a shape and a color and Things have happened to it. It's gone places. It's done things. But you're not your body any more than you are your car. Your car is a vehicle. It takes you places. Your body is a vehicle. It's what the soul is using on this particular leg of the karmic journey. But you're not the body. And that shift in our way of thinking is a shift that every single person, regardless of what they're addicted to, regardless of what they're struggling with, can do. And that's why I gave all of the full details of the trauma I had experienced so that no one could say, well, you know, easy for her to say, she doesn't know trauma. That they would understand, yes, I do know suffering and I do know trauma trauma and I do know addiction and I do know misery, but I also right. know freedom and therefore so can everyone. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful that you, you shared your story in this way, because I think when, when we're suffering and we're out there, I know for me, when I, when I looked to these other leaders, 
out there who I admired and and saw and looked at, you know, there was this piece missing, which was their humanity, if mm. that makes sense. Yes, of and, course. And so I love to hear that because it reminds me of my own humanity as well as and 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 reinforces your message of that uh like you said I like you I'm no more in my body than I am my car and I really just appreciate that statement. I really really like that and and how that all connects together because it it reinforces that for me. Well, thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's and that's for me really the point the point of the hundreds of hours that I put into writing the book, you know, a hundred percent of the proceeds, every single penny that comes in to me goes directly to charity, directly to the women and the girls in the Himalayas. And there's absolutely zero commercial, you know, agenda or motivation or interest in, in the entire book or anything that goes along with it at all. It's just for you, you not necessarily just you specifically, Dwayne, although yes, of course you right, as well, right. but the, the collective you who are, who are suffering and struggling because I know that struggle and I know that suffering and I know the joy and the peace that you can find. And so I'm really, really looking forward to people being able to read it and find that for themselves. I, I love it. And uh, one, one thing I wanted to talk to you too about is when people do find that freedom, um, where does their life go? Wherever they're meant to go. You know, we've all got different life purposes. A uh, An apple seed is going to grow into an apple tree. An orange seed is going to grow into an orange tree. And we'll know once we are free of that, which is holding us back, we'll know where we go. And you know what, Dwayne, the truth is what we end up doing in terms of this career or that career, it's not nearly as important as how we do it and who we are as we do it. Yes, absolutely. I think that's so beautiful because as we do that, that freedom, it's just refreshing. Yeah, it's very, very, very exciting. And I look forward to your thoughts and all of your listeners' thoughts when people, when people start reading it. And I would love to hear from everyone on hollywoodtothehimalayas.com. We have a website just dedicated to the book. It's hollywoodtothehimalayas.com. And I'd love to hear there on Amazon. You can just go directly and order the book immediately and get it. Put comments there, awesome. put them on the website or on social media, wherever it's easiest for you. But I want to hear from you how my story has helped you, how it has impacted you, because that's why I wrote it. That's why I took the hundreds of hours to do it. You know, all of what my life is dedicated to is service. It's what I've spent the last 25 years doing. And whether it's women, girls, poor children, schools, orphans, rivers, trees, 
sick people. I mean, we do an incredible amount of charitable and humanitarian work for women and children and sick people and environmental work. And the only reason that I took so much time away from all that work to write the book is because of the impact that it's going to have, that I hope by God's grace it will have on the world to really bring people into a state of freedom and a state of peace and a state of joy, which is our natural state, that it will free people from their suffering and their addiction. I, I, I love it. I, I want to just thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm so happy that you wrote your book and you're, and you're willing to, to share your story in this way and, and uh, to just give back to all, the, all the, the people that are hurting out there that may need a, a little more support. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me here and for sharing all about Hollywood to the Himalayas with your community. You're welcome. I will put all of those links in the show notes so that everybody will be able to get them and, and uh, at theaddictedmind.com. And once again, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. So, so, so much love to you and everyone. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. I really enjoyed that interview. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. And if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, you're getting a lot out of it, please write us a review. That really does help people find the podcast or just share it with a friend. And if you want to continue the conversation online, think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. So with that, I hope that you have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.